So I want to talk about the anointing this morning, um, mostly because I've been seeing the manifestation of the anointing more and more these days and in, in such a variety of ways and application that I thought it would be good to get some clarity. Um, you're going to be, I know in the days and years to come, we're going to be bumping into things that the Holy Spirit will do. Um, that are just going to be so awe-inspiring, we will just stop and wonder. That's why they call them signs and wonders, because they make you wonder, wow, what was that? Is that really God? Would he do that? God will do anything he wants to. You know, so. so the first reference to the anointing is found in Exodus chapter 25, and it reads this way in verse 6, oil for the lamps, Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And it shows up as part of a list of items needed in order to put the priesthood in place as Israel is preparing to enter the promised land. In order that they might be able to communicate with God, keep his commandments, offer him worship through sacrifice, and show his glory to the rest of the world. Its first application is to be poured as oil on the head of Aaron, who is the first high priest, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit of the living God being on his life. We see the same application being used throughout the Old Testament for prophets, for priests, and for kings. The picture statement being made here is that we need the Holy Spirit in and on our lives if we are to serve God. That's the basic picture statement being made to Israel. So one day the prophet Isaiah looks off into the future day and sees the reality of the symbolism being played out. And he records it, he prophesies it in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, we, we as Christians, we as postmodern Christians, tend to look at all of the things that are good, like we get the oil of gladness, and we get uh, the garment of praise, and we, you know, we're oaks of righteousness, but we get all of those things because all of the other things are already at play. See, what Isaiah is looking forward to is a, a day of great darkness, a, gray where, a day where evil is rampant, and all of these things are, are affecting, are impacting the church of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, God, by the anointing, intervenes and replaces the, 
the oppression of those things on the life of the church so the church can emerge above them and show the world that there is an answer and bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Now, besides the Lord Jesus Christ, there is probably no greater kingdom of God preacher than the prophet Isaiah. He revealed the whole story of the Bible prophetically. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. And he covers everything from pre-creation to the kingdom that is to come. And so we will often find Jesus referencing Isaiah when revealing who he is and what he is about. In Luke 4.17, it says this, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he stops. He doesn't step into judgment at this point, does he? He stops right there. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, as much as I read of this scripture, has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, there's still more to come. So how? How does he know this? How does he know this has been fulfilled? It starts with his water baptism as the Holy Spirit descends upon him as the anointing in Luke 3.21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is how he knew. It is confirmed by Jesus' surrender of his will to the Holy Spirit, demonstrated by his willingness to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit wherever he went, even into the wilderness to encounter the devil, Luke 4.1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, when did he get full of the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit came down as the anointing, and the Father spoke from heaven. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And finally, the anointing was demonstrated through the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus exercised the authority of the anointing over the temptations that he encountered. Did you hear what I just said to you? He exercised the authority of the anointing over the temptations that confronted him. When he went out into the wilderness, he was confronted by Satan. And what did Satan do? He tempted him. He tempted him. 
He tempted him with all various things. And what did Jesus do? He overcame those temptations by the word of God, by the anointing of God, by the authority of the anointing. The word of God became enlivened against the temptations that were assaulting his life. This is available to us saints. There is no temptation that should overtake us. The same Holy Spirit, the same authority. You know, we, we talk all the time about having authority over the devil and all of this, and we don't take authority over our own souls. We wonder why we're getting tripped up all the time. That isn't what Jesus did. He didn't take authority over the devil. He took authority over the temptations. It is written. It is written. It is written. Hey, why don't you just beat it? Hey, he was taking authority over the temptations by the authority of the anointing. Finally, the anointing was demonstrated through the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus exercised this authority of the anointing. And Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee, and the report went out throughout all the neighborhood concerning him. I don't even know what they were reporting at that point in time. He had been baptized. He had gone out into the wilderness. He had confronted the devil. He was out there all alone. He had no food. He had no water. But the word, the news about him spread. Why? The anointing was on his life. The anointing makes room for its own exercise. So what Isaiah proclaimed and what Jesus wanted to reveal was the purpose of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And watch how it works out. To preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. That is the word, the word. To heal the brokenhearted, that is the works of the anointing. To preach deliverance to the captives, that is the word of the anointing. For the recovering of sight of the blind, that is the works of the anointing. To set at liberty them that are bruised, again, the works of the anointing. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, again, the word of the anointing. A perfect balance of both word and deed. And look at the response in Luke 4.32. And they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. How did he know that? He recognized the anointing. Jesus had been hanging out for 30 years in that area. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding area. For whatever reason, the church for the most part, has brought the anointing back to the symbolic gesture rather than maintain the reality of the application of the Holy Spirit. 
But we can see here that the words of the kingdom, when anointed by the Holy Spirit, produced the works of the kingdom. His words had authority. His words became his works. And what tremendous works they were. But more than that, Jesus wants us to know how and why the anointing works through the word. In John 5.19, this is out of the message version. So Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. But you haven't seen the half of it yet. For in the same way that the father raises the dead and creates life, so does the son. The son gives life to anyone he chooses. Jesus, as a man, was in the same position to the Father as we are to Jesus. Let's say that again. Jesus, as a man, was in the same position relationally to the Father as we are to Jesus. The Son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the Father doing, and so it is for us. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Independently of him, we can do nothing. Just as independently of the Father, Jesus could do nothing. We are in an identical position as Jesus found himself under the anointing. So if our dependence is the same, then our faithfulness to the anointing will bring the same results as it brought for Jesus. The anointing raises the dead. It brings life because he, the Holy Spirit, is the breath of life. The anointing, in essence, destroys all the works of death, hell, and the grave. The words of the anointing are validated by the works of the anointing. Luke 7.11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples had a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Why do you think he had compassion on her? Because she had lost a son? Gives a pretty good descriptive of her condition, right? She had lost her only son, and she was a widow. What would that mean for a woman in her time? Poverty, no money. Someone could come along, chase her out of her home, take it over. She'd have no recourse as a woman at all. She was completely abandoned by society. She was on her own. Jesus looked at her, saw the situation, assessed it by the wisdom of the anointing, and knew he had to do something. He had compassion on her and said to her, 
do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. God has visited his people because Jesus exercised the anointing, and the anointing overcomes death. And the disciples of John reported all these things to him, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the anointed one? That is what he's asking him here. When when the Jews in Jesus' day referred to the one, they were referring to the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one. Are you the anointed one who is to come, or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, on, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, the word and the works of the anointing are active. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the anointing at work, and the works of a person can and will often speak louder than the words of a person. John 5.36, Jesus is speaking. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You see, Jesus is saying, my works speak louder than any words you've heard yet. And when John the Baptist spoke in the wilderness, it says all of Jerusalem and all Judea came out to him. His words were powerful, but they were meaningless compared to the works of Jesus. Now watch this, John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Did you catch that? 
The words that I speak aren't mine, but when I speak, the Father does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Wouldn't you like to do the the works that Jesus did? Hmm? Wouldn't you like to be able to walk into a strange city and see a funeral going on and jump out and say, oh, hold up, hold up. Pull that casket out. Come on, get up, get out of there. Restore a son to a mother? How awesome would that be? Wouldn't you like to do something like that? These are the works that Jesus did. The words that he spoke had life. But he goes on from there. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. What Jesus is saying, not only can you do what I did, you can do more than anything I've ever done. That's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? I mean, I've seen some pretty amazing things, but I have yet to raise the dead. I've not got there yet. I've made several attempts. They just got deader. (laughs) Oh, more dead. The anointing functions within the realm of sowing and reaping. There is always an increase. The anointing was on Jesus. He gave the anointing to the church with this. When you get it, you'll do greater things than I did. That's sowing and reaping. That's an increase. It bears fruit after its own kind, and when its own kind is after the fruit and the anointing is always activated through love and obedience. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. I'm going to send you the anointing because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you were to assess your life at this moment in time, where would you say the Holy Spirit is in reference to your own being? Is he just hovering around you? Is he just brooding over you, waiting for that moment? Or is he in you, active, vibrant, giving life to your words? He will be with you, but he wants to be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The anointing is maintained by humility. In 1 Samuel fifteen seventeen. This is the story of the first king of Israel, King Saul. And when the prophet Samuel found Saul and the Lord said, this is the man I want to be king, it says that he anointed him with oil. He took out a flask of oil and anointed him with oil, and Saul became king. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, came on him, and he became king over God's people. But he never maintained the anointing. Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight. Now, when it describes Saul, it says he was head and shoulders over every man in Israel. 
He was a big guy. But in his own sight, he was small. When you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. When Saul began to be puffed up by his position, by his authority, he lost that anointing. And it was given to another man. Humility maintains the anointing. Don't forget, you can't do a thing without him. As soon as you think you can, you lose the ability to do. The anointing is a source of joy, Psalms 45, 7. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The anointing is the source of the joy that becomes the strength of your life. That's how we rise above the oppression of the world around us. The anointed are divinely protected, 1 Chronicles 16, 21. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Touch not my anointed ones. I don't know if any of you have ever been out on the missions field where you're just walking under that anointing, and all kinds of things come at you. You eat all kinds of things, you know. I remember I probably shared this story in Liberia where uh, we were staying at a compound and we were told only drink water from, you know, bottled water, plastic bottled water. And so they were giving us these plastic bottles of water and we're drinking them down. And one day I look out the kitchen window into the backyard and here's the guy that's running the compound bringing up water from his well and filling our plastic bottles. This stuff should have been killing us. We should have all been flushing out with black diarrhea. It never hurt any of us. We had been drinking that stuff for four days. Touch not my anointed. The anointing will continue with us as we continue with him. He will teach us so we will have the words of the anointing, and he will empower us so that we can do the works of the anointing. 1 John 2.27, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. In other words, it remains. It isn't fleeting. It isn't a passing whim. You know, God just was passing through town and happened to touch my shoulder as I was touching someone else, and they got blessed. No, no. When the anointing comes, his desire is to abide in us. He's looking for a habitation. Where is the house you have built for me? Where is the habitation of my rest? Here, O Lord, here, O Lord, have I desired a place for you. It's his desire. You have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. As long as we abide in the anointing, the anointing abides in us. And finally, the anointing liberates us 
from the bondages of life, the world, and the devil. Isaiah 10.27 in the King James Version. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing breaks every yoke. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, we recognize you as the anointing, O God, as the anointing that comes and sticks and stays and abides, takes up residence within us, O God, to glorify the person of Jesus Christ through the lives that we live. We are a powerless people outside of your influence. But, oh God, when you come with your joy and with your strength, we are unstoppable as the bride of Christ. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come as the anointing today. Lord, to overwhelm us with your touch and to fill us with your presence. Lord, that we would be taught by you the words of the anointing, that we would be used by you with the works of the anointing, that the name of Jesus Christ would become famous around us because of the anointing. The fame of him would be shed abroad because the anointing is upon his bride, oh God, the church. Come, Holy Spirit, anoint us to be the church of Jesus Christ in this day. In his name we pray, amen, amen.